0: I went to a bonfire last night. Mm -hmm. Actually, I went to a drive-through Christmas light show and then sat around a bonfire afterwards, which my very sweet friend got a space big enough for 40 people for five of us so that we could properly socially distance and enjoy marshmallows.
1: Was there a lot of trans-Siberian orchestra in the Christmas light show? Because I feel like there should be.
0: The show, you could tune your car to a radio station and listen to music, but instead what we did is we had three of us in one car, and then the other two friends we were meeting up with, they were in their own car, so we jumped on a call, Mm -hmm. and so I had the call playing through my car instead of the music, and we would just chat with each other about what we were seeing in the light show, which was really cool. That's fun. Yeah, it was so, so nice and so lovely, and the bonfire was so perfect. And I got to eat fried Oreos and fried Nutter Butters, which I never had before.
1: Oreos. Oh, my God. I just got gluten-free Oreos. So I'm back on the Oreo (sighs) train. See, it's
0: good things all around happening with food. So
1: our friend Casey was like, get these. And then my friend Kaylee got them. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love that you got to spend time with people in a really safe way. And the fact that that COVID has made people more aware of personal space is kind of making me think that a lot of things that we tend to do cramped really Mm -hmm. need to be 40 people sized, but with only five. Mm
0: -hmm. (laughs) It was my friend Emily who booked it, who is a saint of a human. The kindest person. The kindest person you will ever meet. She is the only person I've ever met who out mom friends me.
1: I love that. You reminded me In L.A., one of the things to do is go to neighborhoods to see lights. People do Mm -hmm. it all over the place, you know. But in a neighborhood that is mostly underlit, near me, there is one house that is so intense. And their whole yard becomes a light show with their own radio station. And it is my favorite thing in the whole world. I always bring someone. I get hot cocoa. Mm -hmm. And I go and watch Mm -hmm. it. And... I can't remember if they do this all the time, but one year they had kind of at the end of the radio track, which would loop, Mm -hmm. they had a message from Santa. So any kids that came could hear a message from Santa. Isn't that just the best? Good people, man. So sweet and so
0: wholesome. I love it. You got to have it, especially this year.
1: Good people make the world go around. And you know Mm -hmm. what? We are not those good people. Hi, I'm Rowan Hall. And I'm Tracy Harrison. And we're the Willing and Fable podcast, a podcast about ancient myths, local legends, and why stories have staying power.
0: So before we start, I wanted to give Rowan a little gift.
1: Oh, are you going to be a good person?
0: I'm going to be a good Santa Krampus. That's what I am. (laughs) I was looking through some analytics, and I wanted to tell you, Hmm? we hit our whiskey goal. What? We actually are over it. We we've surpassed three hundred listeners. And we didn't Um,
1: notice. Oh my god. (laughs) We
0: we we kind of blew right past it and didn't notice. Oh my god, I love it when you go off script. I did not (laughs) (laughs) notice. So we're rounding out season one. I wanted to invite you formally, Rowan, to enjoy some whiskey with me in celebration. And to quote Over the Garden Wall. Which we love.
1: You done good, Mr. President. Oh my God! <laughs> we can actually have whiskey we together. Can. Yes. Thank you,
0: Tracy. I couldn't. I know I should have sent you a text or something to be like, we hit our goal, but it was way too fun to sneak it into the script that I had an announcement for you.
1: <laughs> Honestly, it's better this way. I thought you'd appreciate it. Thanks, everyone. Also for the winter present, because yes. that's that's really exciting. I. I was not anticipating us hitting any sort of goal by the end of our first year. (laughs) No. By the end of our first half a year because we started in June. Six months, baby. Yeah. We did it. You've just been giving me gifts left and right. Listen, is this the part where I admit that I totally opened the Christmas present that you sent me early? (gasps) It came? It did. Okay. So, Tracy accidentally sent my christmas present to my apartment because autopilot is strong and she's Mm -hmm. a very thoughtful kind friend and it came at the same time a lot of amazon orders that i got came Mm -hmm. and so i just was opening the boxes and i opened it up and i got to nice tissue paper and there were confetti stars that kind of flew out at me yeah i instantly was like oh this is from etsy (laughs) Mm -hmm. I did not order this. And then I paused for a moment and thought I could wait or I could cheer up my crummy week. And so I, I freaking opened it, man. It was so charming. There's tea. There's a bath bomb. There's the candles, my favorite part, of
0: course. I don't know which tea was in yours. I think it was the
1: antiquarian. I got two teas. Mm, okay. The antiquarian and it was a winter one. So it is from Old Growth Alchemy.
0: I found them through this online fair. Oh, we should link it because we, you taught me about. Oh, the darks and craft market. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. In in in-person times takes place at an old cemetery
1: that they use the money to help rebuild you know, it was a very thoughtful present. It had me, us written all over it. So she put her card in, Ashley, and there were, listen, there were jars of tea. So that's loose tea in these beautiful jars. There's wax seals left, right, and center. It's, mm-hmm. everything was wrapped. There were these, there was star confetti tucked into everything that was punched out of beautifully textured paper the bath bomb was all wrapped up you know you open it it smells good she tucked in some extra postcards so she wrote a cute note on a postcard and then she wrapped up extra postcards it's like she knew how much you love stationery. i live and die stationery and they're beautiful (laughs) i already know who i'm gonna use them for Mm -hmm. it was thank you tracy that was so Mm -hmm. kind and i'm so glad you like it
0: i have one more gift for you that i i ordered to my house instead of to you so you'll actually you'll get to unwrap something when i see you in person
1: well it's for the best because i could just come to your house and go you didn't get me a christmas present what are you talking about (laughs) 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 i'm just kidding i'm just teasing um it was it It was nice having an early present, I'm not going to lie. But uh, okay, circling back, hitting our viewer goal and getting to have whiskey might be the best present.
0: It's truly a great gift.
1: So today's episode is inspired by the fact that it hardly feels like winter to me out in LA. One of the things that I miss most about Pennsylvania since I've moved out west is weather of any kind i miss leaves changing i miss rain i miss ice i miss ice seriously but i also miss snow i truly
0: don't understand why i think you live in the perfect climate but regardless today's episode is really to give rowan a bit of that wintry atmosphere that she's missing Or maybe it's just to make her feel jealous, except I really think there's nothing to be jealous of. It's just freezing cold out here with none of the snow to make it feel worth it.
1: How are we living in opposite climates of what we should be? (laughs) But I'm going to manifest snow. Today's the day. We're manifesting snow, whether you like it or not.
0: If you haven't guessed, today's topic is snow stories. So, Rowan,
1: take it away with your story. My story today is the ever-famous Jack Frost. He is one of my favorite characters in all of winter history, so I I chose this topic right the heck away when we were planning. You did. You knew exactly what you wanted to do. But I didn't actually know that much about Jack Frost's origins, so... I read from multiple sources that rather than being a proper folklore character, Jack Frost is simply, quote, a turn of phrase. Though a turn of phrase he might be, Jack Frost nipping at your nose and all of that. He has a rich story rooted in mythological history. Famously, Jack Frost originally comes from Norse roots as the frost giant Jakul Frosty, which translates into Icicle Frost. He was the son of the god of wind, Kari. This name, like many, trickled down the etymology pipeline to arrive to us as famed Jack Frost. Except that is not actually true. <laughs> I was just sitting here nodding along like, "Yup, mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep, all of that seems
0: right, okay. Man, you just love to just toss a curveball at me.
1: I really do. It's the story all over the internet, but it's not accurate. I'm going to quote a self-proclaimed Jack Frost fangirl who goes by Whisper the Wolf on the forum for School of Dragons, a DreamWorks game that accompanies the series How to Train Your Dragon, For context, DreamWorks released the film Rise of the Guardians in 2012, in which a teenage Jack Frost teams up with the Sandman, the Easter Bunny, Santa Claus, and the Tooth Fairy to save the day. If you Google Jack Frost, the internet is going to give you info about that above all else. But thanks to frankly brilliant user Whisper the Wolf, who went off on this forum with actual sources. Oh wow. I should be thanking this film and this person. So to quote our wolfish friend, many believe Jack Frost's origins trace to Norse roots with a frost giant called Jakul Frosty, icicle Frost, but this is actually a name confusion. In the Orkneyinga saga, aka The History of the Earls of Orkney, there is a frost giant called Frosty while the book that translates to How Norway Was Inhabited has a frost giant called Jakul, and there's no historical evidence that the names were smashed together until scholars began writing about him in the 19th century. In fact, in The Poetic Edda, Frosty is the name of a dwarf, and the saga of Thorstein, Viking's son, lists a character named Jakul who is a sorcerer. I won't get too deep into the pantheon of Norse mythology here, but... The god Kari, Wind, son of Ymir, Scream, did have frost giant children. I believe they included Jakul and Frosty as separate giants, Thori, Bearfrost, Drifta, Snowdrift, Majol, Fine Snow, and Fawn, Packed Snow. And later, Frosty had a son, Snare, Snow. I do not know why plain old snow is the younger generation from packed and fine snow, but that's totally irrelevant. It is likely that the link between Jack Frost and this pantheon is completely inaccurate, not the least being that Jakul and Frosty were separate giants. The character Jack Frost is described as the personification of winter weather, freezing cold, ice, snow, sleet frost. While frost giants are very cool, pun intended, (laughs) they didn't seem to have powers that had anything to do with their names. It's more likely that Jack Frost is linked to various other cultures' beliefs outside the Viking world. Old Man Winter, England... Frau Halle, Germany, Frostman and Mistman, Japan, Frostman and Frostwoman, Finland, Morotsko, Russia, the Snow Queen, Narnia. That's only some of the figures from around the world that fit into this overarching weather theme. People love to personify seasons, but they really love to personify winter.
0: Yeah. I think it's because winter is... I mean, it's the harshest season. It's the one that feels, the, has the most personality, has the most, eh, I don't know. I could, I could just see why, and I can't really form it into words, but it makes sense to me.
1: I wrote about this a bit later, but I think it's because in a time in which it took every waking hour of every day just to survive, winter had such a profound effect on every last little thing. Mm -hmm. And it was changeable and deadly and also beautiful and important. And to give that reality a personality and a name not only makes it, you know, story worthy, but it also makes it accessible. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it
0: that way. That's true. The idea of making it more accessible makes sense, and
1: I wouldn't have thought of that. I live to, uh, in, to converse with you in intelligent ways. <laughs> I don't know. I just, <laughs> I got to bring something to the table for you. One thing that is very common in stories of winter personified. These figures often have a good and a bad side, whether or not the intention is evil. Like I said, we've got fluffy, beautiful, snowball fight snow, and we've got icy, driving murderous snow. (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. Jack Frost, though originally and still sometimes depicted as a much older man, is often thought of as a mischievous young lad. His powers vary from painting autumn leaves to painting frost on windows, spoiling food. One creepypasta has him knocking on doors and when invited in, turning homes into ice houses. But it's all about the cold. He's usually blue with an icicle hair kind of situation, but there aren't any hard and fast rules. When you're a turn of phrase, uh, there seems to be a lot of wiggle room. (laughs) Very true. In 1734, what is credited as the first naming of Jack Frost occurred in the book Roundabout Our Coal Fire, or Christmas Entertainments, author unknown. It said... This time of year, being cold and frosty, generally speaking, or when Jack Frost commonly takes us by the nose, the diversions are within doors, either in exercise or by the fireside. His first illustrated appearance came on October 5th, 1861, when the U.S. Harper's Weekly published a political comic by Thomas Nast titled, Our new Major General. This was a Civil War comic that referenced the speech made by Major General Benjamin F. Butler. He said, Our faithful old ally of the North, General Jack Frost, shall come and clear away the malaria of the South, and we shall march southward from this place, and there shall be no footsteps backward until this rebellion is crushed out of this Union." He was referencing the fact that disease at the time was wiping out Union troops. But why does Jack get to have a first name? Here's a quote from The Word Detective. Jack has also been used since at least the 16th century as a stand-in for the common man or a fellow, as in... Every man, Jack, needs a job.
0: Oh, yeah, you hear it even today. I always think of when people do, like, Joe Biden impressions, they're like, hey, Jack, what do you got going on? Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's the same etymology.
1: Exactly. I'm learning so much today. Oh, this is great. And Jack Frost, this modern interpretation of him, comes from England and carried very quickly over to the United States. So... Not unlike we use John Doe as a stand-in, Jack is kind of a cheekier version of that. <laughs> <laughs> I will quote my friend of the internet, Whisper the Wolf, again. <laughs> quote, This was seen in words and phrases like jack-o'-lantern, man holding a light, jack a cheeky fellow, or jack-tar, a sailor, as well as the many jacks in fairy tales and nursery rhymes, Jack must have seemed like a fitting name for the cheeky frost fellow that paints your windows, but also shatters your jam jars.
0: (laughs) That sounds like a very, um, I don't know, like an old-timey
1: insult. Like, I'll shatter your jam jars. Oh, it does. But not one that a grandmother would say, despite the connotation of jar canning situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. More of like a a cop, I think. Yes, yes, it has
0: old-timey cop insult energy. And I love that for it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) So let us have a story about this Jack fellow. For my story today, I wanted to go back to an even younger Jack Frost before he was a mischievous teen or an old man. Because I like to imagine that he does age since there are so many incarnations of him. Here's a portion of the 1875 poem Little Jack Frost, a Rhyme for Flossie, by Charles Sankster, that gave me a bit of inspiration. Little Jack Frost went up the hill, watching the stars so cold and chill, watching the stars and the moon so bright, and laughing aloud like a crazy white. One last note before we begin. This story involves the death of a young child. So, like many of our tales, listener discretion is advised.
0: You can skip ahead to 35 minutes and 45 seconds if you'd like to hear our discussion of Jack Frost, but not listen to the story.
1: Once upon a time, in the cold winter woods of the North, there was a boy. Only, he wasn't a boy. He was the cold wind and the clinging rhyme and the snow that fell in fluffy whispers and driving screams. He was a force. Like the turning of the world, the rising of the sun, and the falling of the leaves. Until someone whispered his name. People rarely realize it, but they have incredible, magnificent powers to shape and change the very fabric of life's tapestry. They can bring a magical creature into being simply by naming it and believing. One day... He could not remember when, for he did not exist before, a person whispered the name Jack Frost into the wind, and so he became. He would learn, in a time far off, that he had many names, and so many forms and many identities. But this was the time when he was new, and he was only as the people of the wood imagined. A small, young boy, wandering about in the cold that he brought with him everywhere. It was a lonely way to be. No one had imagined any friends for him in the cold woods, so little Jack wandered about trying to coax the children that resembled him out of doors. Children Instantly recognized one another, no matter their magical or human origins. He used snow for their dramatic ball fights, and a bit of speedy ice for their sleds with shining runners. He created shimmering icicles for swords and snacks. He pulled out his shining paintbrush and glimmering paints and left intricate designs of frost across each window to say to the giggling young people, I am here, and I will make you laugh. Come play with me. When he performed his best work, the handful of children in the village spent hours romping in the snow, weaving in and out of trees in search of the best sledding paths, the most secluded groves for forts. They played pretend for the entire day until the tips of their little noses and fingers were pink with cold and excitement. Jack accompanied them, unseen all the time, smiling and laughing as if they spoke to him when they called out to one another. He offered them a glimmering wonderland so that he could pretend he was one of the group. And when the children were at the peak of their folly, sometimes they could see him. Children still have the ability to see the magics of the world, but only so long as rules and parents and mundanity don't wring it out of them. A boy or a girl would look at Jack with bright, happy eyes, and he would smile back his fullest grin at the recognition, saying, hello, like a cool breeze through the trees. They saw a particularly small child, a sprite who was blue all over, Jack Frost's hair hung like icy sleet, and his eyes were a wide winter night that glittered with youthful curiosity. His ears were high and peaked, and his frame much slighter than any human boy's. But Jackie's smile was that of any happy lad, and the children were not afraid. But when he could not coax them out of doors with his fun, most often at night— The little boy of frost would cry and moan. Hard sleet would fall, turning the fluffy snow into a crisp and cutting ice. His young boy cries would come like a screaming wind through the trees, battering the windows and doors of the village homes. His tantrum would rage while he sobbed. Please come out. I'm all alone in the dark. Please, oh please don't leave me alone. I'm afraid out here by myself. It would become so bitterly cold that even the thought of venturing into the night drove families closer to their hearth fire. The more loneliness he felt, the more the people withdrew to the warmth he could not reach. But on one day, the village children stayed out even longer than normal, venturing further into the woods than they usually dared. They played a rousing game of hide-and-seek until nighttime crept into the sky, spoil-sport that it was. And at the back and call of distant mothers, they all withdrew to their warm homes. All except one small boy, Benjamin. He was one of the youngest children of the bunch, and little Jack liked him quite a lot, since the human child still saw him fairly well, and even occasionally spoke with the winter sprite. He was a bold child, and a clever hider, so he was never found in the last game of the evening. So he did not follow the other children home when they ran. Jackie was overjoyed. He felt that he finally had a friend to keep him company through the dark night. "'Thank you for staying with me,' he said in a cheery breeze. But Benjamin was too distracted to hear or see the Bringer of Winter, as he'd just crawled out from his hiding place only to discover his friends were long gone and darkness was falling fast. The little boy looking all his short five years standing among the ancient trees with snow nearly to his waist began to whimper to himself oh no, oh no, oh no at the same time Jack was overcome with giddiness and snow began to fall in earnest so that they might have more fuel for a snowball fight It was only Benjamin and he, so surely the Elfin Force would be allowed to participate this time. I'll build us a fort of snow and ice, then I can defend it while you storm the gates. His voice was a proper wind now, enthusiastic as he was to have time with his real true friend, Ben. All the while... The village boy never saw Jack. In his creeping terror, he only saw the snow fall and heard the wind rush. Benjamin was beginning to fear that he wouldn't make it home in time for supper and his mother would be cross. So he took off running toward the village. He thought, if I can just sneak around to the back door, I might make it inside and avoid a spanking. Only he ran in the wrong direction. With swirling whiteness in his eyes and wind waving the trees, the five-year-old wasn't sure which way his home was and so wandered even further into the darkness of the forest. Jack was beginning to feel frustrated that Benjamin didn't want to play with him and pouted just as any slighted young boy would. He wouldn't show Benjamin the way home. His friend was meant to stay outside with him so that they could spend the night together having fun and never feel afraid. The more the young human boy panicked and ran and called for his mother, the more the young Sprite cried and stomped and begged him to stay outside. When the sun left the sky... The snow fell so densely, the northern wind swirled so savagely, and the cold clung so bitterly that as the lost child's tears fell, they froze and clung to his cherubic cheeks. His clothes were soaked through so that Benjamin’s small form was racked with shivering, and he was so tired that he could barely shuffle his small feet through the thick weather. With a last tiny burst of excitement, Ben came out of the trees into a clearing, believing surely he'd arrived home and that his father would grab him in a big bear hug at any moment. But it was just another part of the woods where the trees separated to reveal the night sky above. The little boy looked up, overcome by exhaustion, and thought to himself how much clearer the stars seemed on the coldest winter nights. When Jack came out of the trees crying after his friend, he found Ben lying in the snow staring up at the sky. "'Oh, that's grand!' he cried. "'I knew you'd decide to stay with me. "'We'll build our fort here and have our game, "'and in the morning you can tell your friends what fun I am "'and I'll never be alone for another night.' The moods of the winter sprite were as changeable as any magical creature, so his childish joy quickly overtook him, and the driving wind and snow stopped all at once. He ran to his friend.' You can't rest now. We have the whole night ahead of us, and we've only just begun. I'll find you an icicle snack, and we'll play through the whole lonely darkness. When little Jackie Frost came upon Benjamin, he was shocked to find that the boy did not move. His skin was beginning to take on a soft blue. The sprite had never seen that before on anyone but himself. Curious... Jack reached out and touched Ben's skin, which he'd never done to a human child. He expected the radiant warmth he'd encountered when he got very near any home or person, but Ben was cold in a way that felt familiar to the Child of Frost. He drew his hand back with a gasp when he found that his touch left tendrils of ice creeping up his friend's arm, but Ben still didn't move. He didn't blink. "Come on, come on," Jackie cried, grabbing and tossing up the snow from where he sat next to his friend. "It's winter time. We can run through the woods and you never need to go home to that awful fire. You're just like me, so you don't need to go home anymore." Benjamin did not stir. "Come on, come on." Icy tears were beginning to spring to Jack's eyes, and he wasn't sure quite why. So he shook his friend as hard as he could. Ben, Ben, let's play before the night turns scary. Then, Jack Frost, boy of winter cold, knew what he never understood before. The warm children of the village, his friends could not stay out in the dark, lonely night with him. People could not live in the ice and the snow with him no matter how much he tried to make the world an inviting gossamer of crystalline childhood fun. He stayed in the middle of the clearing for a long time, holding his dear friend until the little boy was as blue as the sprite himself. He couldn't leave him in the lonely dark because it was scary and awful to be by oneself in the woods. So he pulled out the little brush and paints he used to make the windows beautiful with sparkling frost. He thought, with the hope of a child and the mind of a sprite and the instinct of a force that turns the world... Surely Benjamin's mother couldn't be too sad if the little boy was all glittering cold. Jack broke the icicle tears from his friend's eyes and painted shimmering fractals across his gaze so that Ben would see stars forever. He repeated the clumsy I love yous that one boy child tells another by painting the snowy adventures of their winter romps as a rhyme in the corner of the child's mouth. The young Sprite held out this last hope that if he could make Ben look just like himself, all crafted of ice and snow, that the little boy might awaken, just as he himself did when someone named him into being. But it did not work. Jack Frost was born of naming and could not find his way to any of the human words for what transpired on that cold night. Benjamin was still little boy Ben, child of the warm village, and he was Jack Frost. The boy of winter tucked his friend into sleep with a rain of snow, just as he'd seen the children's parents do at night when he peered in the window of their happy homes— He left Ben's head lying peacefully and sat by his side all night, trying with everything in him to be... warm. But he didn't even know what warm really, truly felt like. So he only cried and begged the scary night to go away. Jack Frost never called the children of the village to the woods again, He was no longer little Jackie, for he was not the little boy he had been before and could not find his way back to the innocent adventures among the trees. So no child from the warm village in the cold winter woods ever saw Jack Frost again. Children can only see magic when they still have their innocent belief. Jack Frost, magical child of the snow and ice, could never be seen now that he knew the truth of the dark, lonely night <sighs> Okay, first of all, that was so sad,
0: but it the whole time I kept thinking about how great characters and and, and characters that are larger than life have these backstories where there are defining moments and this feels like the first time someone is really telling the defining moment of this mythical creature or one of the early defining moments i feel like you hear stories of him from later on so i really appreciated this telling that represents the first time jack frost realized what humanity is
1: i deeply deeply love mythological figures usually associated with nature that do not have good or evil. They just have what they are. And sometimes that is bad and sometimes that is good as far as consequences go, but they lack the intention.
0: Yes. The intention or the understanding.
1: Exactly. And I really appreciate that struggle that humanity has to manage to love or care about these characters in the world of story when they are all instinct and force and earth right
0: right the the idea of of what one of the big things that makes humanity so special is our inherent ability to understand each other and empathize and understand as much as we do without realizing it you know it's when you read stories of aliens or outside creatures looking at humanity and the complexity of the way we think and communicate when you make that foreign it becomes really interesting and especially foreign in the eyes of a child who already children barely understand right from wrong toss on it the inability to understand your own power and that cranks it up to a really a whole new level
1: Stories about the things that humanity creates to resemble humanity are my favorite. Like, yes. end all, be all. <laughs> I mean, if anyone hasn't noticed yet, this is your moment. But I think that it's interesting for belief from humans to create something that still can't be quite human while still capturing our empathy i i mean i wrote it so who's to say but i feel empathetic for that character jack frost because you know you want to bring comfort to people
0: right and and when there's a character who just who just wants first of all when there's a character who just wants anything and you inherently you want to root for them but when all they want is friendship and comfort How can you not empathize with a character like that? Hmm.
1: My story was inspired by a myriad of Jack Frost tellings, but especially a small portion of the Meredith Gentry series by Laurel K. Hamilton. Jack Frost is a member of the She in that storyline, and there's the briefest portion that describes him as a young magical entity peering into windows. And that image has always stuck with me so i started there mm-hmm. and built a tale around that idea also i highly recommend that series if you like a very spicy modern seely unseely adventure and you know i do <laughs> <laughs> There was another story that I was once told, and in it, Jack Frost was created when a child who lived in a cabin in the woods and dearly loved winter fell through the ice of a pond and died. He came back to his family some weeks later as cold, blue Jack Frost, and forevermore, the woods around the home were winter, no matter the season outside. Ooh, Okay. So I clearly really like child Jack Frost as a motif, especially because everyone makes winter old because it's the time when everything dies. Yeah. Yeah. And it's
0: harsh and it's it, it can be harsh and it can be bitter. And you think of children as young and bright and cherubic. Mm hmm. I love the idea of the innocent harshness of of being sad and stomping his feet and creating a storm of being excited and. Uncontrollably making it snow, and and the the frantic, wild nature that can come from that.
1: If you've ever been around a toddler throwing a tantrum, I mean that's.
0: God forbid they have any more power than they have in that exact moment. I would never <laughs> ever <laughs> want a toddler to be able to control the weather. Oh,
1: could you imagine?
0: I barely want them holding a sippy cup while they're throwing a tantrum. <laughs>
1: So if I'm correct, your story is not a child's snow figure.
0: You actually mentioned my figure when you were talking about your background. I am talking about the German mother of winter, Frau Halle. Mm. So the story, I'm going to start with my story and then we'll get into some history. But my story, my story here is a retelling of the version told by the brothers Grimm. It is the story of Frau Halla and the girl in the well. In the original story, the girl has no name, but I didn't like that, so I gave her a name.
1: Okay, I don't know this one. <laughs> okay, we'll get
0: ready. A long time ago, at the base of a mountain in a beautiful valley, there lived a widow with her two daughters. One was kind and industrious, while the other was selfish and lazy. The widow greatly favored the second girl, as she was her biological child. The first girl, the kind one, was named Clara, and she was made to do all the chores and housework for all three women. The most important chore, the one the stepmother was the harshest about, was the spinning. Every single day, the hard-working girl would sit in the valley by the well and do her spinning. She spun so much that it made her fingers raw and bloodied by the end of the day. Whatever managed to heal overnight would be ripped off by the next day's work. One day, a day that didn't feel so unlike any other, Clara tried to wash off the reel as it had grown slick with her blood, but as she dipped it into the well to clean, her finger slipped and she watched in horror as the object fell down and down and down into the dark depths. Tears immediately sprang into her eyes because she knew that her stepmother would be very cross if she returned home without the reel. She could already picture her stepmother shouting at her to just go jump into the well and fetch it back out. So she did. As soon as she jumped... The whole world around her went dark. It felt eerily like when you feel yourself slipping as you fall asleep only to jerk away and realize that you were lying down the whole time. The world felt off, sideways somehow. And then just as suddenly as her senses failed her, they returned. Now she found herself in a beautiful meadow filled with incredible flowers. There were thousands of the buds, each in various magnificent shades sprouting all across the vast fields around her. It was the most incredible sight the girl had ever seen. She rose to her feet and began to walk. She walked all across the meadow, her hand lazily brushing the tops of the flowers, until she came to a cottage. The door to the cottage was open, and there was only one room inside. But she didn't want to intrude, so she simply hovered outside the door for a moment, trying to decide what to do. That's when she heard a voice. Help! Oh, please! Come take me out! Clara rushed in without a second thought. She was concerned for whoever might be in trouble, but when she got in, she found the small cottage was just as empty as she'd first imagined it to be. Over here, the voice cried. Please come take me out or I fear I'll burn. I've been baked quite long enough. The sound, she realized, was coming from the small oven in the center of the room. From inside the oven. From the bread. Well, Clara wasn't one to turn down someone in need. Even a very yeasty someone... So she reached for the baker's peel, a well-loved slab of wood by the looks of it, and gently reached in to take out the first loaf. At the bread's instruction, she carefully laid it down to cool on the table near the window. One by one, she took out each loaf of bread and gently laid it down to rest on the table. When all the bread was safely tucked into a large basket, as though it was ready for a nap, Clara wished the yeasty creatures a good day and continued on her way. She walked along a path, and it didn't take her long to hear another voice. She'd only been walking for a short while when she passed by a beautiful-looking apple tree. It was tall and proud and full of firm, bright red apples on nearly every branch imaginable. A strong voice cried out, Young lady, please, would you help me out? I have too many apples on my branches and no way to get them off if you could give my trunk a few good shakes that should free many of them from me. Clara, not one to leave a creature in need, even a tall, strong, botanical one, agreed to help. She walked up to the tree and shook as hard as her small arms would allow. One apple plunked softly to the ground, followed by another. Buoyed by her small success, Clara rattled the tree even harder. She shook and shook and shook until a small sweat broke out on her brow and plump red apples fell all around her, echoing a chorus of thank you. When there were no apples left on the tree, and Clara was a heaving, breathless mess, she scooped all of the apples into a pile at the base of the tree so that they could still be close to the branches that bore them. She gave them all a small bow, wished them well, then continued on her way down the valley. Eventually, she came to a small house, bigger than the cottage she'd seen earlier, but not so large as the home she shared with her stepmother and sister. There was smoke coming out of the fireplace and a pie cooling in the window. The house was a mix of stone and wood, and the front yard had a beautiful fenced-in garden filled with roses, Hydrangea, lavender, crocus, chrysanthemum, and daffodil all blooming together in equal beauty. From the window, behind the dome of the pie, Clara saw two eyes blinking at her. They were large, round, and framed by lines that showed the life of someone who lived well and laughed often. Above those eyes sat a wild mop of gray hair tied up as though the only goal were to remove it from the face. Strands of silver curled this way and that as though rebelling from the idea of being restrained at all. "'Well, young lady, come on in. "'Don't be afraid, you've nothing to fear from me.' The voice was old and warbly as it floated over the window sill. Clara, not wanting to disappoint, did as she was asked and walked carefully through the garden to the front door of the home. She hesitated for a moment before opening the door and walking inside. The home was lovely and very charming indeed. There was a table near the far window with seats for two, a fireplace in the corner surrounded by soft-looking chairs, and as she'd seen before, there was a pie in the windowsill next to the door. Standing beside that pie was an old woman. She smiled when Clara walked in, and Clara noticed she had overly large teeth. "'not particularly sharp, but just too big for her small mouth. "'It was a little unsettling, but Claire did her best not to stare. "'Well,' said the old woman, "'what a lovely young woman you are. "'And, more importantly, you seem like a hard-working sort of girl. "'I have an offer for you. "'If you stay here with me and do my housework in an orderly fashion—' I will provide you with a room to sleep in, food to eat, and free run of the house as you'd please. Clara thought for a long moment. The offer was, admittedly, tempting. She'd barely had free run of her own home. Not to mention, she slept next to the fireplace in the kitchen without so much as a bed to call her own. The old woman spoke to her with such a gentle voice and showed her more kindness in these two minutes than Clara had seen in years. It felt like a fair offer. She'd be doing no more work here than she did back home. And the idea of a nice, warm bed was so dreamy as to be barely believed. Clara agreed and reached out to shake the old woman's hand. The wizened hand clasped her own. Firmly, but gently, and the deal was made. Excellent. You must do your chores well. If you work hard, you will be rewarded for your service. Oh, and one more thing. When you make my bed and your own, you must shake out the pillows and the blankets until feathers fly out. Once the feathers fly, it will begin snowing in your world. Which reminds me, I should introduce myself. "'I am Frau Halle.' "'If Clara was meant to recognize the name of the winter woman, she didn't. "'Instead, she smiled politely, offered her name in return, "'and asked how she could be of service to the old woman. "'Clara did not know how long she stayed with the woman. "'Time seemed funny here. "'It felt like only a few days and many years all at once.' However, without fail, she would always shake out the pillows and the blankets dutifully until feathers flew gently around the room. She did her best to perform all of her chores to Frau Halle's satisfaction, willingly redoing any work that did not meet her standards, though that was not very often. Frau Halle was kind to her, and gentle even in her critique, and she treated Clara very well. Clara ate wonderful food each day and could scarcely remember a time she'd been treated so well in her whole life. But time has a way of getting to every heart, and we are creatures of habit, and there are few things that call to us the way our own home does. It took Clara a long time to recognize the homesickness that grew deep in her gut. It took even longer for her to accept it. Eventually, she made her way to Frau Halle and admitted her longing. She missed the mountains of her home, the sound of water brushing by the stream. She even missed the well where she used to do her spinning. Frau Halle had recognized the sadness in her and did not try to convince her to stay. Instead, she replied, "'I am pleased that you long for your home again, "'and because you have served me faithfully.' I will take you back myself. And with that, she took Clara's hands and led her outside, past the garden still blooming with beautiful flowers, and walked her over to a large gate. All you must do is walk through this gate, and you will return home once more. You have been very good, Clara. You have worked hard and remained kind. For that, I thank you. At this, Frau Halla leaned in and placed a gentle kiss on Clara's cheek. As she pulled back, Clara's eyes widened because she saw not the small old woman she'd grown used to, but a young, beautiful maiden. She had golden hair that spilled like silk over her shoulders and two bright blue eyes that stared back at her. She winked one of those cerulean orbs, and suddenly the Frau Halla Clara knew was back before her bent and wizened. She winked once again. Before Clara could say or do anything, the old woman gently shooed her through the open gate back home. As Clara stepped through, a sudden rain fell upon her. She looked down at her palms, expecting to see them soaked with water, but instead a liquid gold dripped from her fingertips. The liquid metal covered her from head to toe, and she stepped out at the gate, shining and perfectly golden in the fading sunlight. At some point, in her shock, she realized that Frau Halle had slipped the missing reel back into her now shining hands. A rooster sat on the well, and upon seeing her, it cried, "'Cock-a-doodle-doo! Our golden girl is here anew!' Clara let out an almost unhinged laugh and, unsure of what else to do, returned home. Upon walking through the door to her house, her stepmother let out a shout when she saw her second daughter. Her sister ran up to her and began trying to take the gold off of Clara's body, but it would not work. Only Clara was able to remove the gold and turn it into a usable coin. Furious at her fortune, Clara's sister and stepmother decided that they too should be given such a prize. They dragged Clara to the well and made her tell them the whole story. As she did so, her sister reached her hand into a thorn bush and pricked her finger. Then she ripped the reel from Clara's hand and without another word jumped into the well. Her journey went thusly. When she came to the oven, the bread called out to be taken out of the oven, but the girl let out a huff. (laughs) As if I would want to get all dirty and hot from an oven. And she continued on her way. She came upon the apple tree next, and it once again begged to be shaken free of the ripe apples crowding its branches. (laughs) Oh yes, I will shake you just so an apple can fall right on my head. (laughs) She replied before moving on. Next, she came to Frau Halle's house, the very place she'd been looking for. When Frau Halle smiled and welcomed her in, she stared long and hard at those large teeth for a very long time. But she accepted the same deal that Clara had, and on the very first day, she worked harder than she had ever worked her entire life combined before this. However, by the second and third day, she'd grown tired and bored of all the chores and barely wanted to rise from her bed, let alone do all of the housework. She never shook out the pillows, never shook out the blankets, and ignored Frau Halla's gentle critiques. Finally, fed up with her uselessness, Frau Halla dismissed the girl from her duties. This was perfectly fine with the girl as she only wanted to return home through that golden gate and reap her reward. Frau Halla also led her to the gate, promising to give the girl her own special reward for her services. As the two stood beneath the frame, a large kettle full of pitch spilled over the girl, covering her from head to toe in ashes. The girl came out of the well, dirty and covered in grey, brown, and black soot, and the rooster cried
1: again, Cock-a-doodle-doo, our dirty girl is here anew! Has there ever been a fairy tale with a female lead that did not begin with spinning?
0: Um, Probably, but not on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the original story did two things that I changed. One, it did not give Clara a name. I chose that name for her. And two, only described her as beautiful and hardworking. And the other sister as ugly and lazy. And I thought... Of course. Exactly. I thought, you know what? Beauty's got nothing to do with how hard you work. So I took that out. Clara can look however she wants. The other sister can look however
1: she wants. But that has got nothing to do with how hard they work. That was a good choice. And I like that she gets a name. Yeah. And I really don't have a problem with the crummy one not
0: having one. (laughs) Yeah, I very intentionally gave no one else... A name, but it just felt right. And Clara felt like the right name.
1: Yeah, it's, it's very, it's pretty, but it's strong. It's got Mm -hmm. a lot of vowels. Yeah. There are so many fairy tales, Grimm's fairy tales, fairy tales from that sort of time period in general, where the female lead, despite being the lead, just doesn't have a name. I know. And... I didn't
0: like that. And I, I, in the beginning, I did the first few paragraphs where I was like, the industrious one, the hardworking one. And I was like,
1: no, <laughs> she, she gets a name. She gets a name. She's the hero of her own story. That was more wholesome than I expected it to be. So I'm dying to know where this very maternal grandmother type figure comes from. Also, great voice for her, by the way.
0: Oh, thank you. So I think you're going to really like Frau Halle the more that I dig into her because, yes, she is maternal, but there's also a um, ah, um, um, a really interesting side to her. So to quote Pitt.edu, the Grimm's original version of this tale, as published in their first edition in 1812, was told to them by Henriette Dorothea, or Dortchen, Wilde. Wilhelm Grimm married Dortchen Wilde in 1825. In the second edition, in 1819, they added some details, most prominently the Rooster's greetings, provided by a correspondent George August Frederick Goldman from Hanover. So I read a few different times that in Hessen, where this supposedly took place, to this day, whenever it snows, they say Frau
1: Halle is making her bed. That's funny. Yeah. She is the reason it snows. And the feathers never run out. Never do. They just keep coming back. (laughs) I make my bed so begrudgingly. I love having a made bed, but I make it so begrudgingly that I could never be that. Could
0: never. Not once. Not ever. The only time I've ever experienced feathers in a pillow in any way that is memorable is when they poke at you.
1: Feather pillows are pretty lackluster because there's not much to support your head.
0: Usually they're they're the throw pillows, or the decorative ones.
1: Oh, I've slept on pillow pillows filled with feathers.
0: No, no, we've evolved technology beyond that. Mm -hmm. Mm -mm, It don't have to be that way.
1: You have to fold them four times on themselves just to get sort of a bit of lift.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so between... 1906 and 2008 there have been nine film adaptations of this story all of which were made in germany except a 1973 production in czechoslovakia
1: seriously nine yeah i had to include that because that seems like a wild number of movies to be made about this character that's so many and i haven't seen one of them well they're all german movies i don't know how many german movies you've really dove into I've seen a couple German movies, not a million, but I've seen at least two. But I knew this figure's name before this episode. Mm-hmm. I knew, I, in my head, it was Frau Halle, German Jack Frost. Like that, it was that yeah. exact kind of progression, but she really isn't. She's
0: not. Um, I'll get more into it. That She's got a... She's got a rich history. So Frau Halle, also known as Mother Halle, Mother Holda, Old Mother Frost, and is even sometimes associated with Perchte or Berchte, though that figure is usually represented as a different person entirely. I'll talk about Frau Halle and Perchte in a little bit. Frau Halle is a pre-Christian female figure whose name is thought to originate from the German hold, meaning gracious, friendly, sympathetic, or grateful. According to an article on northern paganism, she can appear as a, quote, maiden, mother, hag, spinner, stormbringer, ruler of the wild hunt, protector, and thief of children's souls. She was usually seen dressed in snow white with white or silver hair, regardless of whether she appears as young and beautiful or as an old hag. In this latter form, she is said to have crooked teeth, a big nose, and one foot flatter than the other from working the spinning wheel. She wears keys at her belt, the sign of the lady of the house. It is said that Halla collected the souls of dead children, usually infants who died too soon, before being christened in Christian times, or before being named in the days before that. Halla or Holda, is a goddess of winter. She was said to bring on the first snowflakes of the year, they were referred to as Mother Holda plucking her geese or shaking out her goose feather pillows and comforter until the down flew. She is the white lady during this time, the silver-haired goddess who knits the white blanket of the snow.
1: Now you have my attention. righty, <laughs> I want that on my gravestone. I don't want a gravestone, but let's say I did. Oh, I want it on my crypt. Maiden, Mother Hag, Spinner, Stormbringer, Ruler of the Wild Hunt, Protector, and Thief of Children's Souls. Yes. She is so interesting. So some stories say that she
0: steals the children's souls, but that's usually more of that...
1: Post-Christian demonization.
0: Yeah. Before that, it was that she was the protector or more particularly like the guide Mm. and the gentle mother who would carry off the children's souls once they passed away and would like safely bring them along but she's also known as the goddess of spinning that's her big thing but she's a maiden mother hag all of those sometimes she's young and beautiful other times she is old and like a crone sometimes she's both in the
1: same story this lady is all over the place and i love it There's a lot going on there. So Maiden Mother Crone is viewed in a a lot of Celtic mythology as the evolution of a woman. Mm -hmm. And also the wild hunt in Celtic mythology is a very intense, dark thing.
0: There is a German wild hunt led by Woden. Mm. Which I'll get into in a little bit.
1: The last two episodes are just the Germanic, the Celtic meeting. It's very interesting.
0: Because they do have an overlap where it's like the wild hunt in Celtic, but the wild hunt in German. And the wild hunt in German uses Woden, who is also a variant
1: of Odin from the Norse pantheon. It's just... What? Cultures blend and evolve and stories are universal? That's so confusing. We should make a podcast about it. (laughs)
0: All right. We'll talk about that. We'll talk about a podcast for that. Maybe we'll do it someday. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> maybe someday. So, archaeologist and professor Marija Gimbutas named Hala as having originally been an ancient Germanic supreme goddess who predates most of the German pantheon, including deities such as Odin, Thor, Freya, and Loki, continuing traditions of pre-Indo-European Neolithic Europe.
1: Oh my god, I'm so sorry. How did we also not consider a battle royale between Athena, goddess of spinning, and Frau Hala, <laughs> goddess of
0: spinning? My money is um, on Frau Halla just because from what I've seen, she's all around more reasonable.
1: I mean, I'll take Athena just to, to just to back the other person. You know, goddess of, <laughs> yeah. of fighting. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Deal. <laughs>
0: To quote Wikipedia, as we love to do, in Germanic pre-Christian folklore, Hulda, Hulda, Halle, and Halle were all names to denote a single being. According to Erica Tim, Perchta emerged from an amalgamation of Germanic and pre-Germanic, probably Celtic traditions of the Alpine regions after the migration period in the early Middle Ages. Hulda is also related to the Germanic figure of Perchta. She dwells at the bottom of a well, rides a wagon, and first taught the craft of making linen from flax. Hola is the goddess to whom children who died as infants go, and alternatively known as both the Dark Grandmother and the White Lady, elements which are more typically associated with the Grimm's fairy tales as well. Her connection to the spirit world, through the magic of spinning and weaving, has associated her with witchcraft in the Catholic German folklore. She was considered to ride with the witches on distaffs, which closely resemble the brooms that witches are thought to ride. Likewise, Holdo was often identified with Diana in old church documents. As early as the beginning of the 11th century, she appeared to have been known as the leader of women and female nocturnal spirits, in which, quote, in common parlance are called holden from holda end quote. "these women would leave their houses in spirit going out through closed doors in the silence of the night leaving their sleeping husbands behind they would travel vast distances through the sky to great feasts or to battle amongst the clouds" end quote.
1: you brought a goddess a goddess to end all goddesses. And you really undersold this for me. Like, you are delivering above and beyond. I know. I know. I didn't want to come into this too hot and heavy with, like, expectations.
0: But, yo, I love this character so much. Like, ah, she has everything. She has everything.
1: We say often that we love a hag. It's kind of a joke also because, well social media and Mm -hmm. the world is really messing up aging as a woman but she brings so much to the table with her experience she's a goddess of so much just history yes she all throughout every
0: evolution of her young beautiful maiden bringing spinning to all the other women Cool. Crone who flies through the wild hunt, either stealing or, well, let's go with crone who flies through the wild hunt, bringing children along as they've passed away and guiding them on. Wouldn't that be mother? Yeah. And then to, so that's, I guess, mother and then crone, hag, witch, leader of fights, taking women and I would say guiding them away from their husbands. No, Ain't no one forcing these women to leave their house in spirit and go and battle amongst the clouds. They're choosing it, and frankly, so would I. I would choose that every day.
1: It's the ultimate evolution of a woman, basically. You, mm-hmm. you do your thing that you're good at, and you share it with people because you're passionate. And then, you know what, you take care of other people because you're in a position to do that. And then you save the damn day. <laughs> yes. She's so good. And she's wintry and she's kind.
0: She lives above our earth and just shakes out her pillows, and we get snow. I love her. Mwah, Frau Halle, my goddess. So, the last thing I wanted to talk to you about was Perchta, Hulda, and the Wild Hunt. According to an article by Earth and Starry Heaven, Perchta and Hulda are very similar in their powers and activities, but they have their own territories. This is a quote from an old book. Geographically speaking, the incidence of the noumena in question can be tidally delineated in terms of upper, middle, and lower Germany. Frau Perchte or Berchte belongs to upper Germany, which is actually southern, Frau Halle to middle Germany, and Frau Wode to lower Germany, so that being the wife of Woden. Like Woden... They ride through the night sky at the head of a host of animals or sometimes spirits. The 12 days of Christmas are their special
1: time. Back when gods were <laughs> as localized as sports teams. Yeah, yes! <laughs> things were so
0: fun. Yes! And, and I did not have enough time in this episode to dive into it, but eventually Perchta and uh, Frau Halla kind of separate even more, and Perchta becomes this, like, evil figure that slits your belly, and people have called her the Lady Krampus, or, like, the evil Santa. It gets wild. I didn't have time to dive into it as much as I wanted to, because that is a whole other episode on its own.
1: Right. And the first thing that I thought of when you said that was Lilith, the child mm-hmm. element, Oh, wow. An Old Testament figure (laughs) has similarities with (laughs) pre-Christian gods? Wow, that's—I'm so shocked. It's crazy. It's
0: just—it's weird that these coincidences keep happening and definitely have no relation to each other. It's so weird. It's so weird. (laughs) So unlike Woden, these goddesses will visit houses during the wild hunt to check if the spinning is done, and they will tangle the threads if they're not done in time. They will also bless or curse the household depending on if offerings are left to them. Flax was a really good offering as there would be a good year for every thread, so long as the threads were worked off the spindle by the Feast of Epiphany, or January 6th. If this was not done, the blessing would be reversed. In Gardenstone's book on Frau Halle, he includes a number of quotes about the wild hunt, one of which encapsulates much of the lore. In Frankenhausen, Holda moves at the head of the fellow hunters. In Schwarza, she is accompanied by the faithful Eckert. In Haslach and Grundworth, her horse carries little bells and the villagers shout, Listen! The hollow horse moves around! The custom of Hola, or Holda, traveling in a wagon accompanied by a human male, has led some to compare her to the goddess Nerthus, a German fertility goddess who also traveled about with a priest. Though, others claim she instead rides along with only the spirits of children who have passed on.
1: The link between her and children is allowing me to have a bit of a canon of her and Lil Lil Jack Frost. Oh,
0: I know, I love it!
1: (gasps) Could you imagine? He finally... Oh my god, he finally finds
0: someone who can, like, see him and who will care for him. Oh, that's the the follow-up story that I need.
1: Yeah, you don't have to be afraid of the dark.
0: No, Frau Hollis got you. (laughs) I have a couple thoughts to round us out. Mostly, that like many fairy tales of its ilk, this one clearly serves to teach children about the value and reward of hard work, Uh, As I mentioned earlier, in the original version, the good daughter was beautiful and the bad daughter was ugly, but I took that out because that serves no purpose for anyone. But I wanted to just make sure everyone knew
1: that it was described that way. You mean that the lesson used to be be beautiful or you're a bad person and bad things will happen to you? Be beautiful and hardworking. Beauty ain't enough. Right, right.
0: But also don't be ugly and mean and lazy.
1: Yeah, I, that story conveniently had other characteristics, but often it's just be beautiful or bad things will happen to you.
0: Yes. Or be beautiful and bad things will happen to you.
1: Oh, I'm sorry, you're right. Let me clarify that. It's be beautiful and have a man nearby or bad things will happen to you and no one will save you. Mhm. I do not endorse that. <laughs> no. <laughs> Frau Halla only. Frau Halla all day every day. I did see
0: one analysis of this story that made a really good point, which is that unlike many other fairy tales that are similar to this, the protagonist of this one goes to a magical land and finds the mystical person herself. Normally, the magical being must come to the protagonist and then make themselves known, and then an offer or a transaction will happen. But in our case, Clara went and found Frau Halla. Also... Most of these beings are anonymous creatures, but in our story, Frau Halle is very specifically identified and mentioned, and it is said that she lives above earth so her downy feathers can fall, and that is a big reason why her story has survived as long as it has, even post the Christianity coming in and and changing it. Also, this story does not involve any class-related motifs, such as balls or parties to be attended or palaces or princes. In fact, it is an all-female
1: cast of characters in the story. It's true. That was underappreciated by me. It's interesting for us to do this episode back-to-back with the previous episode, since we're doing this cold northern winter theme. We're getting a lot of Germanic stories. We're getting the diffusion of these ideas and how they change, but how they stay similar. And having so many of these winter tales, which of course are only four samplings, but having so many of them that deal directly with the home really excites me. Because from a story perspective, it puts the beginning of the adventure right where you live. Yes. Yeah,
0: I never thought of it that way. It makes it more available and more relatable. And that little voice in the back of your head saying, it could be me too.
1: Mm -hmm. Winter stories are accessible. (laughs) Yes. If you live in a cold winter place.
0: (laughs) (laughs) What, you don't really connect emotionally with the stories living in LA?
1: Well, I grew up in a cold winter place. That's not <laughs> fair. But... It's true. We will explore stories not from the snowy north. We promise. It's just so... I just love... The thing that I love about winter are stories by the fire. And Tracy, I think, picked most of the themes for the last few episodes. And she really just gave me gift after gift. Oh, I'm so glad you liked it. I I wanted to... I just wanted
0: to feel the winter spirit because we felt the Halloween spirit so fully. We were so into it. I wanted to really enjoy and find the beauty in winter, especially because Rowan knows I become a grump as soon as the weather turns cold. I was not built for this weather. I was built for LA weather. I want LA weather all the time. And instead it is 25 degrees outside right now.
1: All right, friends. In the summer, I'll be grumpy. In the winter, Tracy will be grumpy. We can
0: promise you this.
1: (laughs) One of us will always be unhappy.
0: Oh, no. Grumpy and
1: unhappy are different. One of us will always be a little grumpy. (laughs) (laughs) This is probably the part where we should announce that this is the second to last episode before we go on a little winter hiatus Through the month of January.
0: Yes, so this is not your last episode, but next week will be your final episode for this year of 2020, and we will be back at the very beginning of February.
1: Yeah, we got some fun things to prep in the meantime. Yes, and some sleep to be had. How did I know you would say those exact
0: words? It's almost like I complained to you about not sleeping.
1: Oh, yeah. It's almost as if that were a thing. We should podcast about it. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of podcast, everyone, do not forget that we have a Patreon tier that only exists through the end of this month. It's D&D themed because Tracy and I want to indulge our passions.
0: (laughs) Always.
1: If you sign up for just this month, I will write you a story for your D&D character. Tracy will create a beautiful piece of D&D artwork for you. And then you can join us for our ridiculous, fun battle royale that we have planned to kick off the new year. So definitely check that out. With all of that, hey, Rowan. Yes? <laughs> yes? I think you should tell me something good. So I might have messed up. Because I said a good thing at the top of the show by giving away that you (laughs) sent me a Christmas (laughs) present. But actually, I I do have another something good. I have had the pleasure of basking in the fact that I have such a good girl gang of friends. Mm, I love it. I love to hear it. I am in a place in my life where all my closest friends, all my closest friends, my couple closest friends <laughs> are all women. And being being a bit older, being not going through puberty, I yeah. get yeah. being done that phase, <laughs> right? I get to enjoy the fact that I think some of my soulmates are just the wonderful women that i get to create my life with Mm -hmm. the the people that i want to say craft my personality as i go like so much of what i've Mm -hmm. learned about the world i learned they make you a better person right and i have this phrase that keeps running through my head (laughs) just as a silly way of saying it but it's that women don't want men women want to be hype men for other women Yes. (laughs) It's so true. I think there's, uh,
0: there's something so incredible about getting to a point in your life where you look at the friends you've gathered around you. And I've had this many times, especially when I'm hanging out with you and a few of the other friends we've mentioned on the show, where I just sit back and think, I am so lucky to know these people And to get to be friends with these people because they make me such a better version of myself. Mm -hmm. And they are such a gift to know and have in my life. I think about that all the time. Just, it's such a truly, truly wonderful feeling. It is such a gift.
1: I think about that a lot in relation to being raised in this time in which competing with other women... Is no longer cool, mm-hmm. because that's just awful. It's yeah, and it's a really great way to sell dissatisfaction. It's it's a great way to keep the economy moving. That is, if women stop shopping, our economy would grind to a halt. That's been proven in more than a few studies. I love it, but selling competition with other women is falling out of fashion. Yeah. And I feel very grateful that I was taught that during this evolution because it's really so much better to to be nice and be excited.
0: Yeah. And, and that's I mean, it's particularly important for you because of the the work that you do. You know, it's very much I think the realization has begun to come around to the idea of if we raise each other up, what is that saying? If All ships rise with the tide yes, that's it. All ships rise with the tide. We're like, I work in IT. You know, there's not so much, I would say women in IT inherently are just like, ah, another one. Hello, my friend. Yes, we out together. Right. <laughs> like very, but IT is also just weirdly a supportive area. I mean, in my college, my college friends, I'm still very close to. it. It's like, it's me, one other girl, and like, no joke, I think nine other dudes, and we were just so close-knit, and everyone was so supportive and, like, just wonderful. And you don't get that when your major is something competitive like acting. <laughs> like, I think there's more competition. So I'm happy to hear that you've gotten to a place now where it's really supportive.
1: It's true. In acting, theater, the film industry, there's a lot of, if I have it, you can't have it. hmm Or... Of again, that belief, well, if they're beautiful, I can't be beautiful. And yeah, in my little corner of the world at this moment, that just frankly is not true. And it is so great. 2021 is not allowed to have that good thing. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or I mean, like, it can't take it away, it has to have yes. it, it can't snatch it. Yes. Tracy, mm-hmm. tell me
0: something good. All right. My something good, aside from that lovely bonfire experience, is that I really recently got so into playing Civ Six with my friends. So Civilization
1: Six. Oh, Civilization. Okay. Yeah. You keep yeah. saying it, and my brain keeps trying to turn it into a sieve, like that you cook yeah. with. Yeah, yeah, like you where you like shake out flour. Or something. Yes, yeah. yes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> no, Civilization. So Civilization Six. Sid Meier's Civilization Six. <laughs> a bunch of us have been playing and it's so much fun we're just so goofy like i'm playing with casey who you all got to meet in the uh, winchester mystery house episode so i'm sure it is no surprise to you that her her style of naming cities is off the charts just buck wild at one point they had rasputin's winter wonderland uh that was casey and emily's city
1: oh no That's a story we have to cover. We do at some point. Rasputin's Winter Wonderland noted. (laughs) So
0: it's just been so much fun. It's so addicting. We actually are we set hard rules for ourselves of like we're only gonna play from this time to this time, and then we always play for like an hour longer before one of us is like, oop, we have to stop. So it's just been so much fun and so such a good time. That's my something good. So, everyone, thank you so much for listening. And remember, stories grow with the telling. So if you like what we do, tell
1: a friend. Or tell a foe. And we'll see you soon, okay? Thank you so much for joining us for the Willing and Fable podcast. This episode was written and produced by Tracy Harrison and Rowan Hall, that's me. Our music was written and performed by Taylor Ashe, and our logo is by Jamie Harrison. If you ever want to watch or read what we're reading, head over to willingandfable.com for our show notes, or find us at Willing Fable on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook to join the discussion. We hope you'll rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast using your favorite listening source. And check out Willing and Fable on Patreon, where we have more than a few surprises for you, including custom artwork, stories, and access to our secret Discord channel. And of course, join us next time for another round of ancient myths, local legends, and stories with staying power.